This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, Canadian actor, singer, and activist Tom Jackson is hitting the road for Santa Causes this year. He tells us more about the holiday fundraising tour across Canada. We also have a list, by the way, at shifteds.ca where he's going to be. We get into the power of telling a good story with Tom Jackson and sharing your heart. He gives us some advice and he asks us to take on the task of just telling one person, I love you. So do that. Need a battery in space? No problem. Just use a black hole. On the world of weird things with Greg Fish, we get into some really, really weird science scenarios in space. Are you okay with goldfish and ransom notes? Also on the podcast, too. This is the Shift Podcast. It's been a little while since I've been able to get this young man on the radio with me. Been looking forward to it. And I finally found a good excuse to call Tom Jackson and say, hey. Hey, Tom. Hey. Are you as awesome as I am? I mean, a lot of people ask me right off the hop. They say, how you doing, Tom? And I just want to tell you, I wish everybody could be like yeah. me. I am. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. I, it's great. It's great to see your handsome face. Here we are. Uh, the uh, it's uh, It's been a little bit. It's probably been like six months or so since we've been able to say hi. So um, you've been very busy. Things have been lots of stuff going on in your world, and you've got some new things happening. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Tom Jackson is, um, you know, he's an actor. He's a songwriter. He's an activist. He's awesome. And, uh, and you've been up to some new things that is wrapped around Christmas. Before we get into that part, though, Tom, uh, how you been? How are things? I've been really um, busy with things that I love to do, which, you know, just makes life like a jewel. I don't know why I should be so blessed, but I'm, but I'm happy to participate in a lot of very good projects. I, I was out in Halifax uh, working for most part of the, the summer, and part, early summer and then into the fall on a project called Sullivan's Crossing, which is a new series. And um, it's got lots of promise, but one of the reasons I say it's got lots of promise because the DNA of the people who work on this show are um, surrounded in TLC. Well, you've been at this for a while, Tom, and you've learned a few things through your travels and um, tell me about this TLC. Tell me about how important it is to surround yourself with things, activities you love, things you love, but then this um, TLC of, of humans that, that you, you're surrounded by. What, what have you learned for that that you can share with us? I think there's a point of leadership that we should at least acknowledge for ourselves and know that it exists. And my thought is these days quite focused on children and i wonder how under these circumstances do we continue to help children become children or reinvent themselves as children i mean there's i was at a friend's place and um i acknowledged that there are seven and a half million children in ukraine that don't know how to be children anymore mm -hmm. And we need to help them. But I, I bring this up because my friend said we were having dinner and the news was in the background. And he said, you know, if my children were still here, I'd make them go to their room and play. He said, because 
this is this is so bad for them to, to go to bed with these images of trauma and whatnot. And I said, okay, well, yeah, I'm concerned about those children in Ukraine. I really am. And I had a project uh, with the Red Cross to raise money um, for the efforts in Ukraine focused on their children. And then I thought to myself, you know, it's not just their children. It's that same thing that my friend Phil said. We have to consider you to be diligent and bring some happiness to our children. How do we make sure our children are happy uh, in the face of being exposed to all of this? And I realized that we don't have to teach children kindness. It's all we have to do is be kind. And if we're successful at being kind with our children, the family will see it and the family will get it and the family will like it. And if the family does it, the community will like it. And if the community does it, maybe the nation will like it. And we can transform what where we sit because we've got a, we, we were given a blank canvas two years ago when COVID hit. And what are we going to put on that canvas? I asked a group of kids, there was 27 of them, and I asked them, what do you want to do? They were artists. And they said, well, we want to put love on that canvas. And I said, great. That's awesome. So what are we going to do now? Okay, that's what we're going to do. That's our first step. That's our second step. And they all agreed that when we got off the call, there was 27, that we got off the call, that they were going to go and phone somebody and tell them that they love them. Hmm. Now, that's good for two people. That's good for the... 27 that phone and it's good for the 27 that receive and then tell the 27 that receive to pay it forward and do it again so this is what happened and we know it in the first three minutes we went from 27 to 54 but in the next couple of minutes we went from 54 to 108 and what if they did it so in five minutes we changed the world we know that we changed the world, not not with a word, but with a verb, and not with uh, uh, big notions of grandeur, not with marketing, not with uh, a funny video on TikTok, right? Like it was literally just one little moment of connection. Yeah, and it was it was awesome, and it was a great learning uh, process for me. I learned a lot from that. And I get to carry it forward. And now, you know, when we talk about love and we talk about the verb, not the word, Christmas is a verb. So this year, don't just celebrate Christmas. Be Christmas. I love that. You know, and I, you make me think of a bunch of things. Uh, first thing I wanted to share uh, that came to my mind when he said that was uh, I have a friend that I've met here on the program. His name's Ron Jones, Big Ron Jones. And he said, you know, we often misunderstand leadership, that leadership has to happen from the front of the pack. And quite often the best leaders will lead from the middle of the pack. And that sounds like what you're doing there, right? It's not standing up in front of everybody and being this, look at me, this is all about love. You're just actually sitting with everybody, being there and being a part of that moment, just like you described Christmas and being Christmas. In a multicultural world that we live in, Tom, being Christmas, the spirit of Christmas, I feel like that's what my friends who don't celebrate Christmas, I feel like that's what they do for me. I feel like they, 
they are all of the things that represents Christmas and they give that back to me, even though the faith part is a little bit different. So that's quite magical the way you describe mm. it. Well, we have a, uh, we have to be resilient, right? Like we, after two years of this burden and this weight on our shoulders, and I don't want to blame it on that, but we have to be resilient. We have to make people happy. We have to make people laugh, to dance till they sweat, to read things that are good for them. And we have to reinforce all of that. And, and we have to remember in our world what made us happy. Just close your eyes for three seconds. Think of things that are tickling your soul. Mm -hmm. Okay, now open your eyes and tell me you don't feel just a little bit better. You can feel it. Like you get, it just literally starts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So be reverent to that and, and be part of the celebration. We, we've learned how to function under despair. You know, we need to facilitate a connection that brings joy and provides mm, a landing place for well-being. It's beautiful. It's a good reminder. Tom Jackson is our guest here. You know him from all oh, the long list of uh, movies and TV shows, everything from Star Trek Next Generation, Outlander, Law & Order, um, for the international end of things. Of course, there's the Canadian shows uh, uh, that you did as well. Uh, there's, it's endless. Now, you, um, people may not know, there's something about Tom Jackson when he tells a story. You might have caught on to that even by this conversation. And the first time Tom and I uh, met, we were sitting together. It was at a Juno event. And so North of 60 and all these shows is where I, I knew Tom from. We got to sit down and have dinner. And I learned very quickly that some of your, your stories and listening to you is almost even, you know, in my opinion, I mean, your acting's great. The movies you've done are great. You've done amazing things. Your singing is fantastic. You've got this beautiful voice. But when you tell a story, Tom, that's next level different. You go from being a star to like, like out of, just out of this world. And you've got some Christmas work that you're doing again, um, some Christmas storytelling. Why don't you tell us what you've been up to there? Last year, um, which was the second year of this You Can't Go Out and mm -hmm. Play, um, we presented a virtual show for Christmas, and we gave it to our to the various social service agencies so that they could continue to raise funds and allow, allow them to save lives. So now we had kind of adapted that philosophy around here. Uh, and I ask anybody in my team, what do we do? They say, we save lives. Well, that's a little lofty, but it's reality um, in that we are arm's length away from the angels that actually save lives. And the, tail end of last year uh we decided we wanted to go out and play if people wanted us to go out and play because they were all covid uh, protocols were in place and so we did 13 stops uh mainly in in the west but this year we decided we could do it again because we checked with the venues and everybody was happy to to open arms and invite audiences in and the name of the project became Story, Songs, and Santa Causes. And it is exactly what we intend it to be. It's about the why 
not the what. For us, the why is to make you happy because healthy is happy and happy is healthy. And this is this show is divine, designed to get you out of that funk, you know, that, that that's there and, and allow us to help others who will, in fact, save lives. And you never know. I, I, I think I've told this story, and maybe even to you, that you never know the value of the gift, right? And this show is a gift. Uh, it, it, if, in fact, somebody at the Edmonton Food Bank or the Calgary Food Bank or the Alpha House, the dope team, or the, or the counseling center in Brandon, Manitoba, or the First Light in St. John's, Newfoundland, if they help somebody because you help them, you have no idea what the value of the gift is. Because what if they help somebody who helps somebody oh. else? What if they help somebody who helps somebody else and the person they help is somebody you love? That's priceless. You never know what the gift is worth. So don't be afraid to go out and help somebody because it's as big a gift to you as it is to the person who gets helped. And Santa, Stories in Santa Causes uh, is is exactly that. It's it's us telling stories that that make you feel good and uh, and music that makes you feel good and you know empowering you giving you a social uh prescription that you don't have to go to a medicine cabinet to get you get a social prescription that you can apply to yourself and make yourself healthy and that's our goal it's a beautiful thing um when you think about what you're creating and this year with this project of story songs and santa causes with Tom Jackson, I mean, this is a little bit different, Tom, because, you know, uh, your some of your past projects here on Carol and those ones, um, awareness fundraising and a lot of the philanthropic work that you do. If I understand this one correctly, this is where I think this one's really cool, is that as you tour around from all these cities, and so many of these are our broadcast cities, so I'll bang them off as a big, ugly list right now. Edmonton, New Westminster, which Edmonton, by the way, is on the 24th, so we're a day away here. New Westminster, Kamloops, First Nation, Lethbridge, Calgary, Calgary, Regina, Brandon, Winnipeg, Peterborough, Toronto, Ottawa, Halifax, and St. John's. So literally all over. But the Santa cause is not so much about one particular group. The Santa cause is kind of like um, bring your own purpose, you know, like BYOB, bring your own beer. It's kind of like BYO purpose and what is your Santa cause for anybody from anywhere? Come get inspired, feel great, and then get set free back into your cause and go create. Is that what you're trying to do? Absolutely. You nailed it right on the head. It's, our Santa cause is, is not just ours. We, I've kind of defined what ours is. And I, I get the blessing of having a team that, that carries that energy forward. Um, but what is your Santa cause? And share that with somebody. Share your Santa cause with your community so that they can, maybe they hadn't thought of that. You know, maybe this isn't I thought, I, I knew that exercise, but you don't know it until it comes up and somebody brings it up. So trying to find Santa causes that cause great things to happen. I know maybe I'm beating this over the head, but I'm not. In, the, the real intent that we have, the the vehemence, this realizing that we want to, we want to, created a, a journey 
a, a path for people to find a destiny that is greatness, a destiny that is greatness for them, that they are great. It's amazing what happens when you put um, intention behind what you create. And it's amazing what happens when you can um, live into that and share it. Tom, there's, I, I hear lots of poets often talk about how knowledge is the most powerful thing in the world. And, and I agree with that. I just, I, there's one other piece of that puzzle that I often find is missing that I think is very present here with what you're saying. And that piece of the puzzle is knowledge is actually worthless until you share it. And so many poets of the past have spoken about the value of knowledge and how important it is to have knowledge, but they don't speak about the importance of sharing knowledge. Money is just paper in your pocket until you share it with someone. And knowledge is very similar that way. Knowledge in your head is just knowledge in your head. It's something there. If you cut your head open, you can't see knowledge. Like you don't see it in a filing card system like you used to see at the library back in the day. You just, you don't. But once you share it's like it... Having if you have a painting in your basement, yeah. if it's sitting in your basement, it doesn't have much worth. No. You need to go into your basement and get that beautiful painting and bring it out and show it to people and share it with people. You're absolutely right. I would. I also challenge that with my friend who, who actually said that to me once, that if, in fact, you don't share it, it becomes worthless. It's the same thing with love. Mm. Love is great. And it's priceless, but it loses its value if you don't share it. I'm going to drive everyone crazy here on the shift because I wrote something in the summertime. And I remember when I wrote it, I did think of you and I'll share it now. I've shared it before and the audience has heard it, but they often get uh, send emails asking me for it. And I think this is where we're landing because every time I talk to you, Tom, this is where we always get to. And I love this. It's my favorite part about you. And here's the piece that I wrote uh, this summer. It's very short. Love is the word we use to render the experience of presence and connection. And when you take that into real life, you get um, moments like this that you and I are sharing and you get um, exactly what you're going to share with songs and stories and Santa causes. It's a beautiful thing, Tom. Thank you, brother. It's great to see your face. You should know. Let me just say this to you. We can't do this without you. We cannot create the momentum. We don't have the kind of voice without you. So from the bottom of my heart, let me just say that I love you and thank you and welcome to the team. Thank you for that. I take that personally to me and to everyone who's listening right now. Um, I'm going to take this list of tomjackson.ca, the... Um, story songs and santa causes link and put it up at shiftheads.ca so everyone can see where and when they happen in their local cities and if you can't go you can't attend whatever that's fine my invitation is please take the spirit of the i love you the merry christmas and all of the things that tom jackson's sharing with us and create it and create it with the pay it forward notion of saying do me one favor please tell someone that you love them and uh, let's kick that ball down the road, Tom. See where it goes. Nice. Okay, brother. Thanks for having me on. This is the Shift Podcast. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird, weird things, things with Greg Fish. 
Uh, thank you, Jono, for hitting the thing. Okay, Greg Fish is here. Now, Greg, I realize as I ask you this question, because it was queuing through my brain quietly in the background there, it's going to be a, an interesting answer from you. Because the question that I've asked of the Shifthead community here is, what is your favorite Christmas treat? Now, for you, oh boy. that that question is is different. And I, I so I'm going to ask it, and I want you to answer it the way you would answer it. Uh, people are under saying, what are you all tiptoeing about here, Shane? So let's just do that, and then let's, let's get into it, because I got some stuff I can learn here. So, Fish, what is your favorite Christmas treat? Well, here's the thing. I don't really have one per se. Now, <laughs> my wife, who is American, does celebrate Christmas, and I sort of just tag along as... Uh, I don't want to use the term dead weight, so I'm just going to say uh, companion. Yeah, good. Okay. Now, the reason why you're Jewish. So, um, our, our, now, I, I really truthfully don't know a ton about the Jewish faith, at least from a, this sounds too square, but it's the word that comes to mind, from a mechanical or functional point of view, little things like food and traditions that way. I get the, the history and the stories uh, of, of the Jewish holiday, holiday and Hanukkah and all the things that come with it. Um, but so as a, an American who is bombarded by Christmas marketing, do you have a guilty Christmas, at least a Christmas seasonal treat favorite? And do you have a Jewish faith treat favorite? So again, not, not really, not per se, because the other part of it is I was raised in, I was born and raised in Ukraine where we didn't really celebrate Christmas because Christmas is a purely super religious holiday. We celebrated New Year. New Year was kind of like our Christmas and Thanksgiving and, and New Year's, obviously, all rolled up into one. Um, and that was usually celebrated with a feast where you rang in the new year at midnight and there was music and there was dancing and there was a lot of entertainment. Um, so that usually was, was, was very cool. Um, and as a kid, I was a big fan of like, you, you would kind of try to bring out your best treats. And I really liked, you know, those classic Napoleon cakes as a kid. So that was like my favorite mm -hmm. kind of new year's holiday sort of deal. And I have found here in LA uh, where I live now, I found a place that makes them exactly the way I remember them, which was just like, oh, yes, yes, thank you, thank you. This mm. is this is it. Um, and believe it or not, it was at a Jewish deli that made them exactly the way that I like them. So there you go. Perfect. That answers all of your questions it all does. at once. I like that. See, so it all fits. This is where it's kind of cool, right? Um, I heard a great thing from Shea Ganim on the radio this week where he talked about wishing somebody Merry Christmas. And this this is not the world of weird things, but since we're here um, and how he said, you know, the only people who get weird about Merry Christmas are the Christmas people. The people of other faiths around the world actually don't get weird about Merry Christmas. If you wish somebody a Merry Christmas from another faith, for the most time, they know that it matters to you and you're wishing them a Merry Christmas. If someone came to me and Fish said, came to me and said, Happy Hanukkah, I would be like, Happy Hanukkah. Tell me what it means to you, right? Like, so you would celebrate with the person. So this is cool. This is exactly what what this conversation, what the world kind of looks like, Fish. So I think that's great. Thanks for helping me create that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I don't get offended. I think if you're trying to deliberately make sure that you're reaching everyone, say happy holidays. But if you just automatically say, oh, Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah sure. Whatever. That's Go for jam. it. That's cool.
Yeah, if you're celebrating your thing and that's your thing and you want to share that goodness with everybody, I think you should be able to share that. And just because some people don't necessarily reciprocate doesn't mean if you say Merry Christmas and they're like, Happy Tuesday, you'd be like, Great, thank you. Enjoy your Tuesday, right? Like, that's all the way it needs to be. This is cool. All right, text comes in from Southern Ontario, says, Love the fish, man. So let's get started with the world of the weird things. If you have more treats you want to share, because I have a little bit of a list here I'm compiling in the background, 877-399-9898. Uh, text them in now. In the meantime, black holes, power plants, and what? So this is one of those things where I, I thought about the, you know, what can I really do that's weird? Because science stories have been, look at this pretty picture from James Webb. Okay, yes, it's a very pretty picture, very and pretty. I get it. But I'm not an astronomer. There's not very much that I can that I can really tell you. Um and then there's been a lot of rehashes of, well, we don't know everything about gravity. Okay, yes, I, I, I get that. But that's something that needs to be developed more. So I started thinking, what, what are some interesting things that maybe we haven't talked about? And I know that we talked about zombie planets, including mm-hmm, planets did. that can orbit black holes. So why don't we get into something interesting about black holes that we've never discussed, which is that black holes technically exist as stellar-sized objects and galactic-sized objects as the supermassive black holes in the center of the galaxy. But did you know that you can take any matter whatsoever, any matter at all, and if you compress it to enough density, it will create a black hole that may be the size of a marble but have the mass of the entire Earth packed inside of it it's as long as you get the object under its schwarzschild radius which is named after a physicist who basically discovered what that radius is it begins to act like a black hole light can't escape it it essentially in from a local standpoint punches a hole through space and time and voila you have a black hole at your disposal cool can we start selling them in time for christmas so a about that the problem that we think happens is that they will evaporate very 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 quickly when they're that small okay so no warranty then yeah there's no warranty it's as is all sales final (laughs) everything must go Mm. yeah you gotta buy it quick uh the other issues if they do get big enough then what's going to happen is, like I said, about the size of the marble, it's going to have the same mass as Earth. Well, the problem is you're on Earth, and and Earth has more mass than you do, so you're going to be sucked into this black hole very painfully, and the Earth will be destroyed in the process. So okay. you're going to have to make it a lot smaller. So when you actually do make it a lot smaller, then it becomes much less stable and evaporates even quicker. Okay. So indemnification clause, clearly. Okay. Yes. Working through the capitalist view of black holes here. So uh, there, there is a bit of a look about the power that's possible with all these things. That people are trying to say, well, wait a second. There's an awful lot of energy squishing these things together. Exactly. And you can use that energy, especially because a lot of these smaller black holes, when they form, they rotate because the original object has angular momentum when it's spinning. So when it's as it continues spinning, but it becomes much, much smaller, law of physics say that momentum has to be conserved. So that means the thing has to start spinning faster and faster and faster and faster until black holes 
uh, spin at a very significant percentage of the speed of light. And if they're tiny enough, they may be spinning at almost the speed of light. What that means is when something is interacting with them, just close enough to interact with them but not be sucked in, that thing gets enormous boosts of energy. And what's happening then is that the accretion disk of this black hole essentially becomes like a giant crankshaft, like the kind that we use in nuclear reactors and power stations. But instead of, you know, rotating thousands of times a minute, it could be rotating millions of times a second. Oh, wow. So that, okay, so do, so that is an immense... I was going to say, sorry, that, do we know that, that measurement of how close is too close? Do not cross the red, uh, you know, ribbon sort of measurement. Are we talking like... Two inches get sucked in. Are we talking five feet here? Do we know what that is? Is that even possible to calculate as far as we know? Yes, it is. And it actually depends on the black hole itself because what we're really trying to figure out is we're trying to figure out the tidal forces. Now, we will get to that in just a second. Uh, But first, I wanted to kind of give a little other little caveat is that if that black hole is large enough then obviously it's going to be fairly dangerous. It's going to be it's going to require a ton of energy to form. But as you are essentially using it as a giant crankshaft, it's going to generate absolutely tremendous amount of power. It's going to have nearly fifty percent efficiency, which is far better than a, a lot of things that we have. Um, so you could potentially use a black hole for energy for a fair amount of time, or at least until it evaporates. The problem, though, is that when you try to feed the black hole, especially a small one, it only can, it can only suck in so much at a given time, which is why you would have that accretion disk. So if you if you are larger than that black hole physically, it may not actually have enough strength to do that much damage to you physically. It may not That's actually good. be able to suck you in. Okay. Okay, good. Okay, good. I feel like this is kind of a one-shot experiment, right? Like, if you're going to do this, feel like you need a permit, and by the way, you could suck the Earth into this thing. And that's problematic. Well, you could, but the nice part about that is that it's extremely difficult because you would need an absolutely immense amount of energy. So if you went and you tried to convert just pure energy, literally fired a laser, you hooked up a laser to a nuclear power plant, and you assembled all the power that you could— still would be nowhere near enough. You would need essentially the power that is emitted by the sun in a second to create a black hole, the massive Mount Everest, and about as big as an atom across. So this is. is the kind and, of energy. Oh, an, atom, an atom across, and as big as an atom yes. across. When yes. you said atom across, I'm like, never heard of it. Okay, got it. Yep. So that particular, you wouldn't be able to generate a ton of energy from it. It wouldn't be able to consume very much matter because, you know, atoms are very small and there's not that many subatomic particles that are floating around when you get on the atomic level. Um, and if it you actually lost it and it went into the earth, it would take literally trillions of years for it to be able to have a real effect on the earth. So... You know, uh, fairly safe. But then again, okay. uh, I think the destruction of it and, and releasing all of that power is going to have a lot more consequences on Earth than the actual black hole. So you would want to okay. do that in space where it's a little safer. Oh, also, I should note, since we're doing disclaimers and indemnification yeah, clause yeah. and caveat emptor, um, as black holes 
speed, they shoot out gamma rays, which are very deadly. So you probably don't want to get too close to one of these black holes, no matter the size. Okay. Okay. Um, so this is this is going to be a tough sell to get into um, Bed Bath & Beyond here if we're going to put this little tiny little black hole power plant out there for Christmas. Yeah, it's I I, I would I would usually not recommend that you purchase yeah. that. However, the there are suit some interesting is really going to put people off, you know. Yeah, there are though some very interesting things that we can learn from that, which is how certain subatomic particles interact in these high energy environments and mm. how we can use nanotechnology to pack them in using graphite, graphene, carbon nanotubes. Um, we could actually generate a lot of energy and have a lot of really interesting battery technologies that we've learned from high speed collisions in particle um, in particle accelerators where we're trying to understand what the dynamics of a black hole look like and what the what's happening in the accretion disk what may be happening inside of these black holes now where you would have an artificial black hole shining you can probably create it with with a combination of lasers and antimatter is again like i said in space and then you can use the natural emissions to essentially use it as an engine for a spaceship oh okay that's interesting okay now i'm a little cautious here fish because here's why we were told that when we got computers and a paperless society that we would never need paper again nobody told us that every three years we'd have to buy new hard drives and pay monthly subscriptions for the rest of our lives to store our documents and photos we kind of got screwed on that one, right? Like, that's not good. It's kind of like when people say, oh, yeah, by the way, if you're going to go on a trip, you could buy carbon offsets. Okay, that's great, except for the fact that most carbon offset companies are actually for profit, and they plant tiny little trees that aren't going to be big trees for 20 or 30 years to actually offset everything anyway. Like, I feel like we're kind of getting screwed over and all this stuff, so I I'm cautiously optimistic saying, okay, well, where is the big bang of, of this whole thing blowing up in our faces here? Because we were always told that this is the way to go, and then it always seems to backfire, poof, hole in the ozone. Too much hairspray. Well, well, in this particular case, uh, you, would be, you would be okay. Uh, you would be able to use this kind of uh, black hole engine mm -hmm. to achieve relativistic velocities. You could get to other stars. You could explore oh. other solar systems. Um, it could be actually a, a very cool technology. Uh, the only thing is you got to make sure that you have just enough. You, you keep that black hole just on that precipice of where something goes wrong. You can just stop feeding it. You can stop supplying it with energy and just let it very quickly evaporate, prevent any like a, like a catastrophic failsafe. So if you're looking for that for that caveat, yeah, make sure that it that you don't that it doesn't get too large. Okay. I don't know, man. Cautious feel like we've learned this lesson before fish yeah it's good to be cautious around high energy power sources that defy the laws of gravity i'm i i would agree with you there and <laughs> electromagnetism and nuclear forces just just anything that messes with the laws of reality you have to be very very cautious with uh but it is really but it is fun to ponder because there it may actually be like we're talking about this as okay well maybe this is something that we can do uh, uh for energy for starships and whatnot but there is another very interesting implication that i wanted us to discuss very briefly which is okay. if we're thinking about possibly doing that maybe there's some aliens out there that have already figured it out and maybe right. it's possible that they're close enough to a black hole that they actually 
use an actual stellar black hole as a dynamo of theirs because there's some very interesting things that you could do when you're close enough to a black hole that is fairly small and innocuous something that's maybe a little bit heavier than the sun um mm. so you could so you could build something that's called a dyson sphere which is essentially a way to encase a star and oh. absorb all of its energy thought it was a vacuum and it's very and it's very difficult because stars are very large but black holes are very small, even stellar-sized ones. They're about okay. the size of a city. So that all of a sudden becomes a lot more viable. And you encase it in this little Dyson sphere. You leave a little, you leave a little port open, which is very important. I'll explain why. Okay. And then you shoot electromagnetic radiation into it. So lasers, usually what have you, um, lasers, x-rays, um, something like that. They bounce around this Dyson sphere, and they emit a lot of light and a lot of power and a lot of energy through an effect called Rayleigh scattering, which essentially the, the easiest way to describe it is harmonic resonance through the accretion disk. There's just a lot of combined forces, a lot of spinning, a lot of uh, distortion of space and time that generates a great deal of energy that you can now harvest and mm -hmm. use for whatever you want. But you got to leave That's that all. port open because, yeah. But you got to leave that port open that I was telling you about because if you close, if you completely encase it, then that scattering is going to build internally, and you will create a bomb that will vaporize anything within a light year. So you know what yeah, is again. just exploding right now is my brain is really what it is. So if we the, here's what I'm hearing: if you pull up in your spaceship to the black hole and you plug into it, you can recharge your spaceship. Kind of like we were told that you could recharge your electric car for free. It was free energy to drive around in, and then they flip the switch, and now they charge you, and it's almost as much as a tank of gas to fill up your car with electricity, um, except this is a big extension cord from a black hole. Well, this is why you you have to make sure that the black hole is a publicly owned utility. You have some sort of regulation <laughs> on prices. You can't you can't just let any old entrepreneur pay right. a, an enormous amount of money to own a black hole. Like this is something Fair that enough. we're going to have to get into. We might as well discuss it sooner rather than later. But yes, in general, you could use a black hole for a speed boost. You can use it for energy. The biggest issue here is just to make sure that you stay away from that point of no return you don't touch the event horizon you stay mm -hmm. just clear enough of the accretion disk where you can get all the benefits without any of the downsides and if you respect the power of the black hole you should be fine all right good ish. advice there you go take that with you fine ish greg fish here on the shift and the world of weird things.com to check out all of the Perfectly normal conversations like this on this website. Thanks, Fishy. Doesn't doesn't everyone talk about how they can uh, plug into a black hole and find aliens in the process? Like, isn't isn't your, that like just kitchen table conversations? Your wife is the most patient person in the world. She is a saint. <laughs> she is a saint. Thanks so much, Fishy. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with goldfish? Oh my God. Do not leave me alone with goldfish. I will eat them all. Oh, the entire bag? A hundred percent. And they're like Box. actually pretty good nope. for you. Not a bag. Box. 
I buy the Costco-sized box that has a couple of bags in it, gigantic box of goldfish. Do mm-hmm. not leave it in my sight. It is It gets ugly. And if it's the salt and vinegar version of goldfish, look out. We should probably distinguish that we are talking about the goldfish cracker, not a box ah. of live goldfish. Probably also available at Costco. Um, I don't think you can, can buy goldfish that... in a box, though. Like Not no. the wiggly ones. Well, if you can buy them in a plastic bag, from, you can probably buy them in a box. I I, I had one goldfish. I've, Did you? I've had one pet my entire life. It was a goldfish, and it died You've after a You've only had week. one pet? Never. Yep, I had a goldfish, oh and it God. died after a week. Never again. Never again. Bad parenting. But yeah, you can. My mom. They were they, they just never wanted a pet. They just didn't have the time. Dad was traveling. Mom was busy. Just never had the time. And I killed a goldfish after a week. It just did not point towards this family needs a pet. I so yeah, it's probably a good sign. Mm-hmm. Good decision. You turned out okay, right? I did turn and hey, I get to kind of be a pet owner by, you know, dating someone that's got an amazing golden retriever. I don't have to do any work. I just go over and give it pets and belly rubs. That's awesome. That's not so a that's, pet owner. No, that's I'm the as I've mentioned before, I'm like the cool uncle. But last time I was yeah. a pet owner, I killed it. So probably uh, by accident, but I, by yeah. negligence, probably. Okay. So probably um, a good call. Yeah, you're not a pet owner until you've um, had to steam clean dog vomit or cat vomit out of your rug first thing in the yeah. morning. You're not a pet owner until you get up in the middle of the night and you slip on some extremely weird substance that's on your bathroom floor when you're going to the middle of the night bathroom break. That's what a pet owner looks like. Just saying. Do not envy you. Uh, no, actually, I've been pretty lucky. Uh, there's been a couple of sick moments. Let me tell you, when a Great Dane decides to um, to get sick, it's a big event. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, okay, goldfish, the wiggly little orange ones that swim around a bowl. That's what we're talking about here. Not the crackers, which, by the way, when you put the goldfish crackers in your mouth, you always put the salty side down. Little secret. Little tip for you. Goldfish, the wiggly ones, could be your first pet, just like Ryan, although he's a goldfish murderer, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Tiny little goldfish are cute. They're easy to take care of. And it turns out they can actually get very big. Very, 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 very big. Freakishly big. And for angler Andy Hackett, yes, angler, like fisher person, that's how big. Holy moly, any fin is possible. <laughs> Ryan's very excited about that. Hackett, a 42-year-old fisherman from the UK, recently caught a goldfish so big that people were calling it a monster. The goldfish, who goes by the app nickname of the carrot, was reeled in by Hackett while fishing at Blue Water Lakes in Champagne, France. Fancy. The 20-year-old male koi carp weighs in at a staggering 67.4 pounds, according to a post on the Blue Water Lakes Facebook page. This is the actual sound of carrot the goldfish, being released back into the water. Listen carefully so you can get understand for yourself how big this fish is. Listen carefully to the splash sound it makes. Happy? 67. Four. 67 fold. Wow. It's a big this fish, This is man. big. It's a big fish. Can we post a picture up of carrot at shiftheads.ca so everyone can see carrot, Rye? Absolutely, we can. 
Okay. It took Hackett about 25 minutes to reel Carrot in. Once he had her, he slipped her out of the water for a few quick photos, uh, weigh her, and she was released. It's easy to admire the carrot, but giant goldfish can be a big problem in some habitats. It may seem like a great idea. You want to get rid of your pet goldfish. So instead of flushing it down the toilet, you release it in the nearest lake, sending it back to nature where it can live out its life in the clean, crisp waters. But experts say that's the worst idea. Bad for the fish and bad for the entire ecosystem. The result? Cute little goldfish that turn into the size of a football. Goldfish can cause quite the ecological disruption. They are removing the habitat for the native fish. Experts say if you need to get rid of your goldfish, give it to a friend or return the little guy to the pet store. But whatever you do, don't throw it in a lake. We really encourage, obviously, not releasing it into any um, freshwater. That's from Inside Edition. Now, how big does this get? Ryan was just sharing how he's like the, the Disney uncle to a golden retriever. Based on this photo, <coughs> pardon me, based on this photo of Carrot the Goldfish, I want you to imagine in your mind's eye right now, a fish, like goldfish are kind of ugly. They kind of got like an ugly face. No offense if you're a goldfish or if you identify as a goldfish, please, no offense. But they have an ugly face. And the thing is, is that this goldfish, Ryan, safe to say, about as big as a golden retriever. I can actually tell you for a fact that this goldfish is bigger than my partner's golden retriever. Cora weighed, wow. last time I met them, last time I saw them, 57 pounds, which means that this goldfish weighs 10 more pounds than a golden retriever dog. And that's not wow. a small dog. Nope. This is a goldfish, dude. I wonder if this is my goldfish, actually. I wonder if this is the one I flushed yeah. on the toilet. It was pretty dead when I last remember it, but maybe had a long travel down the pipes and ended up in France, to France. and just carried out. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Actually, Ryan, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but your fish actually just went to live on a farm. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what mom told me. He was on a farm, yeah. enjoying life, and probably now 140 pounds. Nice. Are you okay with ransom notes? You see, the thing about ransom notes depends on which side of the ransom note you're on. I mean, if you're yeah. if you're the one who's getting money out of this scenario, then probably okay with ransom notes. If you're the one paying money, then probably not okay with it. And if you're the the trade person who's been kidnapped or is being held captive, well, depending on your situation, you, this could or may not be a, a good or bad thing. So, I don't know. I like the ones that are made out of um, magazine clippings. Magazine clippings. Yeah, yeah. That's just like a trade of like the good old '90s spy ransom, like that kind of movie, which is always fun. Uh, yeah, the ransom note, it's always, I feel like I don't hear about a lot of ransom notes these days. I feel like no people aren't just doing that. They're just deciding, all right, I'm going to go rob a bank now. And they just run in and rob the bank brazenly. So perhaps it is a lost criminal art and, uh, it'll just show up in movies, bad bank movies. Maybe they just <laughs> ransom text now. <laughs> yeah. Ransom text. No, no. no, they airdrop. They airdrop you. The oh, they airdrop note their notes? Airdrop it yep. to everybody in the bank. Just It's mm -hmm. more efficient that way. Instead of having to photocopy you know, 50 different ransom notes to all the people inside the bank, you just airdrop it. 
a paperless society, carbon neutral bank robbers, thoughtful about the environment and their use of paper. It's not carbon neutral. <laughs> Appreciate your attempt there, but it's not. Uh, give me all your money. Thumbs up, smiley face. Um, ransom notes are a crucial piece of evidence against robbers, of course. Sometimes things don't go as planned for the robber or the police, too. Twelve years ago, this happened. And we begin with the criminal mastermind file, memo to the Twinsburg, Ohio Police Department. When apprehending a bank robbery suspect, do not put the demand note somewhere where the suspect can eat it. That is John Ford enjoying a little snack off the hood of the cruiser. Alas, he was unable to swallow the gun, money, and exploded ink pack also found in his car. Uh... (laughs) ABC News, probably okay. But today, the ransom note story is all about a very, 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 very dumb criminal. This Missouri man in question has pleaded guilty after writing a ransom note on the back of his own birth certificate during a robbery. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, I keep a list of the dumbest criminals that we talk about in Are You Okay? I'm putting together something Mm -hmm. special. And just let me tell you that this is contender for one of the best of the year. Michael Conley Lloyd pleaded guilty to one count of bank robbery in federal court to prove a point to his lover, though he never said what that point was. On top of that, Lloyd placed uh, was placed at the scene of the crime by his ankle monitor, <laughs> which he was wearing for an earlier offense. Oh. And Lloyd remembered writing on his birth certificate, be quiet until I leave and give me all the money. Now, if Lloyd is given the maximum sentence, he will receive 20 years at a $250,000 fine. I don't, I'm, and probably a breakup, I'm assuming. Probably a breakup. He also uh, used his roommate's truck to get oh. to the bank. He took wow. about $750. Also, he wrote it in pink highlighter. On his birth certificate, which is just not very threatening. That's just not a threatening ransom note on the no. back of a birth certificate with pink highlighter. And then he, when the cops caught on to him, he left with the money and he threw it out the window and the bank was unable to recover the money. So the Bank of America lost $750 and he's going to jail. And it's just, I love it. It's just such a such, a, such an amazing story. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. The ankle monitor is pretty good. The birth certificates, though, it's good. Like, you had a piece of paper? Yeah, sure. Here, use this. Are you okay with fireworks? Eh, they're fine. Uh, yeah, they're yeah, they're cool. I, uh, you know, going to a fireworks show is is good, but you really do need to have a good seat for it. You know, if you're going to one downtown or in any urban area, like if you're just not looking in the right direction, you're not going to catch all of it. It's going to be behind some buildings. So you got to pick a good spot. And, you know, there's 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 two basically types of fireworks shows. There's the big giant ones that are produced that have production value that are for like, you know, to celebrate big events that are big and fun. And then there's the backyard where dad and his buddies uh, decided to make the weekend a little bit more fun. And mm-hmm. honestly, I kind of prefer those fireworks shows because they just light them off in a random order with just a sort of chaotic energy that I think matches the explosive nature of the art itself. The, I was at a party, it's like a, a family party, and one of the brothers had this bright idea about setting off some fireworks. And it was in a pretty nice neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those neighborhoods that had a big canopy of trees. 
Oh, no. Fireworks today, you don't have to have like a big fireworks show where you light this one, then you light that one, and then it's just like a box. And you buy the box, yeah. and you, you light the one fuse at the other end, and then the fuse burns its way through the box. So it's a pre-built show. Fires one off over here, goes big boom, and then a bunch of little ones, pop, 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 then another one, big boom. And the conversation before the fireworks is always the best conversation, which is what could go wrong or who's going to know or by the time the cops get here, it's going to be over anyway. So turns out when you go and you light up fireworks on the street of a very nice neighborhood with a canopy of trees um, and the police car is about two blocks away and sees it all unfold. No, everything happens faster, including gravity. So, um, yeah, it's great. And you know what the response of the police officer was? It was the best. Oh, we Fire? can't do that inside the city limits? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, sorry. And then walked away. <laughs> that was it. The police officer drove away. So The police officer... Sorry, yeah. sorry. the police officer said, you can't the do that The police officer here. pulled up because it was yeah. two blocks away. Like, the, the thing was just went off. And the police officer lights on, pulls up, and says, you can't do that here. And the response was from the family member, oh, I can't? No, you can't light fireworks in the city without permits and blah, 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 blah. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. And then just walked away. And just, that was it. He gave you a, he gave you a warning. Yeah. That's. Sorry, it won't happen again. <laughs> nice. It's good. No anyway, fires, um, eh? Just want to confirm no fire, right? No, they bounced all over, but no fires. Okay, um, good. No fire. That's good. Dogs, on the other hand, generally not okay with them, kind of like thunder and lightning. One dog in the UK was so spooked by them, she ran away. Luckily for the dog's owner, she was a smart pooch, and she ran right into a local police station. Now, before we tell you more, we need to share this with you, uh, the puns the BBC used at the part of the story, because that's kind of the best part. Have you heard the one about the dog who walked into a police station? She was hardly the usual suspect. This was when Rosie the Border Collie handed herself in after a particularly rough day. Rough. Oh, rough. Hi, that's good. How did this dog wind up in a police station, question mark? They'd come to her favourite park. There were a series of loud bangs and Rosie ran off. After a frantic search, Steve's wife rang to say Rosie had handed herself in at the nearby police station. She was calm once she's gone in. She, once she wasn't inside, she wasn't frightened of the bangs. So she just sat down calmly. I've, I've seen that on the CCTV clip. Just sat there waiting? That's right, sat down waiting. And when did she go to the police station, I wonder? Well, probably because it was somewhere safe, really. It was Fiona Lacey who Hi. collared Rosie that night, happily reunited today. Hey, I see. You get all kinds wandering into a police station. <laughs> yes. Do you often a... get a dog wandering? <laughs> no. No, it's the first time uh, that I've seen a dog wandering. Uh, that's lost. Aw, that's from the BBC News. What a lovely, clever dog, police said on Facebook. Aw, see? There you go. Miss Josie, who likes to post her cat pictures on shiftheads.ca, as uh, to quote Josie, would be, there's one point for Team Doggo. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.